Good evening, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. As Tammy and I have been talking, the only negative thing about being here tonight is Randy's not here and I don't get to hear him. I tell you what, he is one fine preacher of the gospel. We love to hear him speak. You have to endure me tonight, I guess, but I thank you very much for the invitation. And as we begin, I've got to tell you, this is probably one of my favorite, not probably, this is one of my favorite lessons that I have ever had the privilege to preach. This has to do with a topic that is near and dear to each and every one of us, and I hope that you enjoy the lesson as much as I do expounding it this, this evening to you. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That comes from Mark chapter 4, verse 41. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Mark 7 and verse 37. Luke chapter 1 verse 79 tells us that he came to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. In John 10 and verse 10, the subject of our lesson this evening said, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We're talking, of course, about Jesus Christ, our Savior. In Proverbs, there's one particular verse that talks about friendship. And it talks about a friend that can be even closer than a physical brother. It's in Psalm, um, rather in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Can you imagine that? Now I'm an only child and this verse may not mean as much to me as it does to you that may have siblings. But I've watched others, and I've seen how families interact, and I've watched brothers and the closeness that they have. And I miss that in my life because I don't have anything like that in the physical sense, but I do in the spiritual sense. But there are those that are even closer, possibly, than the physical friendship that the Proverbs writer talks about here between a brother and a brother. Why is it that he is so great and such a good friend? What about the reciprocal friendship that we should share in the great work of our Lord? That's what this lesson is all about. You'll hear me say many times throughout this lesson, what a friend we have in Jesus one day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came down to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day, he's coming 
Oh, glorious day. What do good friends do? Let's ask that question, and then I have several answers. Answer number one. What do good friends do? They come to our aid when we need them. In Psalm 124 and verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now think about this. When you're in trouble, when you need help, when you're down, when you don't know what to do, you have a friend who is ready, willing, and able to help you, and that friend is just not an ordinary neighbor or a relative who is also a friend, but he is the one who spoke, and the heavens came into existence. He is the one who gave up that which made him God. Now, he was still God, but he also took upon himself humanity and came to this world. Why? Because while we were yet within our sin, he loved us, and he cared about us to the point he took upon humanity. I'll have more to say about that a little bit later. He endured the trial and the shame of the scourging and that trip to the cross where he died for you and me. After living a life that made him the perfect sacrifice for our sin. That's what he came here to do and that's what he did perfectly. It's that friend that we have who says, I'm here ready to help you. In John, or rather 1 John chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. John says, my little children, now he's talking to Christians. He's talking to you and me. He calls us his little children. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, if you do anyway, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for us our sin and not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world imagine we have Jesus Christ as such a friend number two good friends are always ready to help in Ephesians 3 and verse 20 he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think I love the King James in that one exceedingly abundantly. I don't know if we would have made an A in English on that one. That may be proper. I don't even know. It, it, it's, it's old. But just imagine that he is able to do more than we can ask. He's able to do more than we can even imagine. When we have a need, whether we know it or not, he does. And he is able to provide for that need. Number three, good friends correct us when we're wrong. Ooh, that's a hard one. You know, we need to consider this a little more often when we see a brother in sin. And maybe when a brother sees us, and that goes for sisters too, maybe when one of you see me in a compromising position or doing something that I ought not be, you don't need to be hesitant to get me by the ear and say, hey, we need to talk. Good friends, correct us. Through his words of correction, remember what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Our path in life can be righted. 
if we get off that path, if we get on that large, open, inviting way that leads to destruction, we can have help to get back on the right path. Friends help friends to stay on the right path. Number four, good friends. Here's a good one. They make us happy. In Psalm 144 and verse 15, the psalmist said, Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Can you just imagine why that we ought not be so happy? Considering that the God who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence is ready to be our friend, who is our friend in every situation where all we do is follow him. Just imagine how happy we should be. Now, we do face trials and we face temptations. In fact, if you are the Christian you're supposed to be, there's going to be some suffering along the way. There may be some persecution. And what do we do in those situations? You know, we find ourselves down and we pout and we cry and we maybe even fuss at God. Why did you do this to me? I want you to think about something. I want you to think about Paul when he went into the Roman city of Philippi, when he was unjustly arrested. Remember, he cast that demon out of that woman, and it cost some people their livelihood. um, They didn't like that, so they went and got the, the magistrate and the town people, and they got them all wound up, and they came and they arrested Paul and Silas. And you remember, it wasn't that they just arrested them. They beat them. And I want you to think also that these weren't Jews. This wasn't one of those 39 or 40 save one stripes. This was a Roman beating. They were beaten till the point in which that they could hardly even stay conscious, if even that. Their backs were just a bloody mess. And then from that point, they were taken not only into the prison, but into the inner prison, where their legs were put into blocks that kept them from moving with their backs up against the wall. And imagine the only way that you could be was sitting against the wall with, with your, your, your back in its injured state the way it was, and you were miserable. Oh, but wait just a minute. You remember what Philippians 4, 4 says? Rejoice in the, world, in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul didn't cry to the God and say, Why have you done this to me? Why have you put me here? Why am I suffering? No. You remember what they did? They sang songs of praise to God. And imagine when they were to take in a breath of air in order to sing, you know that they were in pain, but they sang songs of praise to God. And just imagine as we find others at different times when they were thought worthy to be persecuted for Christ's sake, they were joyous about this. They were happy about this. And what a difference it made in the city of Philippi. The jailer and his household, how many others we don't know that obeyed the gospel because of what they did in that situation where I can't imagine, but I would just be whining and crying and begging for mercy. 
And these two were singing songs of praise to God. Imagine that. Number five, good friends are always there to want the best for us. In Romans 8 and verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are also called according to his purpose. You know, we don't always know what is behind the things that go on in this world. But I'm telling you, brethren, the world is not just like a clock that God has wound up and set out there and waiting for it to run down. Oh, no. He is active in our lives. Miracles don't happen anymore, but the providence of God continues on. And how is it that we know that the things that happen during the day are not there for our benefit provided by God? We don't know those answers, but we do know that all things work together for good to them that love God. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 37, Paul said, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no power in this world that can separate you from God. As you are a faithful Christian, there's only one thing, there's only one person that can make you fall. And that's you. You can choose to turn and walk away. But if you don't choose to do that, nothing can separate you from God. Heaven is assured to you. And what a great blessing and comfort that that is. Number six, one very great mark of, fellowship, of friendship rather, is that good friends allow their friends to help them. The great Lord who came from heaven and died on the cross can say, there's something that we can do for him. Now, I understand that God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our worship. But he does need us. Now, think about that just for a moment. We'll come back and revisit that. God does need us to do something. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, we then, Paul says, as workers together with him, who's the him? That's God, beseech you, we beg you also that you receive the grace of God, or that you, that you receive not, rather, the grace of God in vain. We understand that Paul is saying he was a fellow worker with God. Now what is it that God needs us to do? I want you to stop and think for just a minute, real hard. Think about all the way through the New Testament. I want you to think of the occurrences where a heavenly being conveyed the message to man about what man is supposed to do in order to be saved. Now, I'm not talking about inspiration in the Bible or inspired apostles who would speak to someone else. Where is it? that an angel came to a person and said, this is what you must do in order to be saved. 
Think about where Jesus appeared from heaven. And he said to someone, this is what you must do in order to be saved. I can count all the instances on one hand. In fact, I can count all the instances on no hands. There's not a single one. Not a single one. Well, you're saying, well, on the road to Damascus, Jesus, yes. Jesus told Paul to go into the city and there it would be told him what to do to be saved. Oh, well, yeah, there, well, the, uh, um, no, no, think about, no, that's not it either. You can think and you can think and you can read and read and read and there's not a single instance where a heavenly being told man what to do to be saved. You see, that is something that God has put into our hands as Christians to do. Remember Matthew 28, 18 and 19, go into all the world, teach the gospel, etc., etc. If we don't do that, who's going to do it? If Christians don't carry the gospel into the world, how's it going to get out there? It won't. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't pick up a Bible and read it and obey it. They certainly can. But preaching the gospel is the way that God has put in order evangelism to save souls. And he has given that gospel into our hands and given us the commission to go and do it. Go ye means go me. In John 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, now notice this, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go to my Father. Now just stop, just think about this just a minute. Jesus said that to the disciples he was talking to, they would do greater works than what Jesus did. Scratching your head on that one? Well, let's think about that. How many people did Jesus baptize? Not a single one. How many Christians, how, how many people became Christians while Jesus was on earth? Not a single one. You see, Jesus, as he died on the cross, said it's finished. He was in the tomb for three days and three nights. He arose, was seen by all those people, then he ascended into heaven, and after that we find the day of Pentecost where the gospel was preached for the first time and people came and obeyed. That day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. Jesus never led anybody in that sense to salvation. He forgave sins, yep, no doubt, under the Old Testament. But you see, what we can do that is greater than what he did while he was on earth, we can preach the gospel to others. We can lead them to understand what they must do in order to be saved. We can help them go to heaven. Imagine that. And Jesus says that's something greater than what he did while he was here. Imagine that we have the ability to do greater than what Jesus did while he was here. Of course, we couldn't do this without the sacrifice that he made. That sacrifice is beyond our capability. 
We couldn't do that anyway, but we can help others understand and obey the gospel. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depth its flow may richer, fuller be. O cross that lifteth up my head, I dare not ask to hide from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus is such a good friend because of his great concern for others. You remember the account of the possessed man that we read about in Mark chapter 5? Jesus cast out the demon. You remember as he, he did so, there was quite a bit that was going on. The people in that area came out to this, this man who, who ran through the, the area naked. He, he tore himself. He slept in the tombs when he was arrested. He even broke the shackles, the chains that bound him. They couldn't keep him tied. Jesus came into this area and Jesus cast the demon out of this man. The people were quite amazed about that and they really didn't know what to think. Now these weren't Jews that were there to any extent because there was a herd of pigs that were there. In fact that's who Jesus cast the demon called Legion into. Remember they all ran down into the sea and were drowned. The Jews wouldn't have been keeping pigs, so this was probably an area of some uh, uh, mostly Gentile. It was in the Gadarenes, it was in the area of the Decapolis. But you know those people, instead of coming out and following Jesus immediately, they, they were kind of worried about this. They didn't know what to take about it. They, they just didn't understand. And they asked Jesus to go away. Can you imagine that? Go away. Now, the man that Jesus had healed came to Jesus as he was getting on the ship to depart. Remember what he asked? He said, Lord, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no, you can't. However, you can do something for me. You can go and you can tell the people here about what I did for you. You know that man did just exactly that to the extent in which next time Jesus came and every time after that he was in the area of the Decapolis and the area of the Gatherings, that people came out from everywhere in that area and just flocked to hear Jesus because this man went and told everybody in that area what a great friend Jesus was to him. What he had done for him. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. That's something that we can do. Now, in comparing what Jesus did for this man, what has Jesus done for you? You see, he only cast out a legion of demons out of this man. He's made a way in which that I can have my sins forgiven and I can go to heaven. Which would you rather have? 
you know, I think I'd rather have my sins forgiven and run around naked in a cemetery and sleep in tombs and go to heaven than have those demons cast out of me like that and go take a bath and lose my soul. What a friend Jesus was to this man, but how much more of a friend he is to you and me. In John 13, Jesus girded himself with a towel, and as a bondservant, he washed the apostles' feet. Now, you remember impetuous Peter there. <laughs> no, 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 not me, Lord. You're not washing my feet. I, I, I'm not even worthy to wash yours. And you'll remember that Jesus told Peter that if I don't wash your feet there, young fellow, you're not going to have any part in a lot with me. Paraphrasing, of course. And, Jesus, and Peter's reply to that was, Lord, you can wash my feet, you wash my legs, you wash my back, you wash my hair, you wash me all over. And you know, as Peter grew, that impetuous young man, that fisherman, turned into quite a Christian. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he held a higher office too, in my opinion. He was an elder in the Lord's church. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, he writes something that's quite remarkable. He tells me that he had learned quite a lesson there as Jesus washed his feet. He said, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Peter knew what he was talking about. He learned it firsthand from the Master. And of course, his words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28 and verse eight, uh, chapter 28 verses, uh, or in just verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. See, that's one of the things that as a friend we can do for Christ. We can go and we can teach others. In John 15 verse 13, Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he may lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did just that, but even more. Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. Jesus is such a good friend because of his great devotion to duty. You know, in, in our time, so many people complain. In a time when they think that there's no requirements on them, they have rights. When they think that they need not be exhorted, admonished, or much less rebuked. Mm. In a time of me, me, me. Well, Jesus said in John 6 and verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. See, Jesus didn't come here of his own accord. He was sent by the Father. He was told by the Father what to say. He was given the mission, and he fulfilled that mission perfectly. When in the shadow of the cross, Jesus would pray in Matthew 26 verse 42, not my will, but thine be done. Imagine that. Did Jesus want to go to the cross and die? Mm, I don't know. I don't think that he would look forward to doing that. In fact, if you will remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he appeared there with Moses and Elijah, you remember one of the things that they talked about, one of the things that's listed in Scripture, they talked about his upcoming death. And what better two people to talk about that than two that had experienced it. Jesus was concerned. He was human. He was God, but he was also human. And 
he had the fears that we have. He had the uncertainty in some things. The, and I, I don't mean the doubt of heaven or doubt that God the Father was there or anything like that, but fear of the unknown. He, he had never experienced death. He had never experienced that cruel scourge that he had to endure or the trip to the cross or the hours that he hung there. And I know that he was concerned about it. But he, he completed his mission. He came. The father said, you've got to go. And Jesus said, okay. Here I am, send me. That's not necessarily Jesus' words, but he answered the call when it was given to him. To the father in John 17, verse 4, he said, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou hast givest me to do. And in John 19 and verse 30, you know that he could cry out, It is finished. Because he had accomplished his mission. He was responsible. He was dedicated. And we are taught also to say as we were in James 4 and verse 15, If the Lord will... We will do such and so. He is a great friend because of his example in suffering. You know, he's told us that those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And why shouldn't we? Because he suffered before we do. We speak of Job. We speak of Jeremiah. We even speak of the trials and the tribulations that Paul had. But what about those that Christ endured? In Hebrews 2 and verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom all things are, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus was made perfect because of the things he suffered as a human being. In Hebrews 5 and verse 8, more into this, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In Hebrews 2 and verse 18, for in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor, that is to give aid to them that are tempted. In Philippians 2 and verse 8, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he for your sakes became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15, Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. You know, I, I, I just... When I think about that which God has done for us, I can't wrap my mind around it completely. They borrowed a bed to lay his head when Christ my Lord came down. They borrowed an ass in a mountain pass for him to ride to town. But the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. He borrowed the bread from the crowd he fed on the grassy mountainside. He borrowed a dish of broken fish with which all were satisfied. 
He borrowed a room on the way to the tomb, the Passover lamb to eat. But, oh, I'm sorry, they, they borrowed a, I, I messed that up. They borrowed a cave for him a grave. They borrowed a winding sheet, but the cross that he wore, and I'm sorry, the crown that he wore, and the cross that he bore were his own. The cross was his own. His compelling love ought to draw us to do his will. As we stop to think about the sacrifice that he made, I can't understand this, much less try to even explain it. But when Jesus left heaven, he took upon himself humanity. And that's something that he will never be rid of. What do I mean by that? Right now, Jesus sits at the right hand of God, but he is encapsulated in a body. Now, it's not one of these. It's not this physical body. He had one of those. But when he rose from the dead, when he ascended into heaven, he had a body. It was that body in which we are given further description, 1 Corinthians 15, other places. It's that body that is incorruptible. It means it won't decay. It won't break down. It won't, it won't quit. It won't wear out. It's an immortal body. It's one that will last forever. It's a spiritual body, but it is a human body, and he will be in that human body for eternity. Now think about that. He gave up the freedom of being God the way that God was, and he took upon himself humanity. Can you imagine? No, I can't. I'll flat tell you, I can't imagine the sacrifice that we're talking about. We know that he has that human body because for what he is now, we will be like him. And he's promised to give us that which he has and that we will have throughout all eternity. What exactly it is, I don't know. But it's going to be great. It's not going to grow old. It's not going to grow gray hair. It's not going to grow fat. It won't grow ugly or be born ugly, whatever. It's going to be a perfect body, fit for eternity. But Jesus always will have that too. And I can't imagine such a sacrifice. I traveled down a lonely road and no one seemed to care. The burden on my weary back had bowed me to despair. I oft complained to Jesus how folks were treating me. And then I heard him say so tenderly, my feet were also weary upon the Calvary road. The cross became so heavy. I fell beneath that load. Be careful or be faithful, weary pilgrim. The morning I can see. Just lift your cross and follow close to me. Good friends come to our aid. Good friends are always ready to help. Good friends correct us when we err. Good friends make us happy. Good friends always want the best for us. And good friends allow us to help them. What Jesus does for us, well, what doesn't he do? But here's just a few. He saves us from our sins. He will guide our lives. 
He will walk with us through trials. He will give us victory over death. And he will take us home to glory. Remember John 14, 1 through 3, he's talking about those mansions. He tells us that he's going away to prepare a place for us. He's coming back. And he said, if, I, if it wasn't true, I would have told you. But what he says is true, and we can, we can base everything we are upon those promises. Let us so conduct ourselves that the Lord will count us with his friends. The verse that was read before we began from James, Abraham was counted a friend of God. Why? Because he believed. Does that mean just some kind of a little mental ascent that, yeah, God, I believe what you say? No. It means that he did only believe, he didn't only believe, but that belief compelled him to do what God said. I believe that God is. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And because of that, that compels me to do whatever they have said for me to do. Jesus himself said in Luke 13, verse 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, verse 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father, which is in heaven. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus himself said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not will be damned or condemned. Just imagine Jesus' words, and we are to just simply do that which he tells us to do. In Revelation 2.10, Jesus' words again, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Are we truly Jesus' friends? Remember in John 15, verse 14, Jesus simply says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. The lesson is yours. I think it's a good one. What a friend we have in Jesus. There's a need to come in whatever reason. If you're not a Christian tonight, wow, why would you turn down such friendship? If you are but you're not on the correct path, we have the ability to pray with you and for you. Let us help you any way we can. There's a need, won't you come as together we stand and sing.